0: Assalamu alaikum alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is your lover girl, Adar, and you're listening to the Digital Sisterhood Podcast. It's making me a little teary-eyed to say this, but we've officially reached the final episode of Love Timber. I know, I know, sorrows, sorrows, prayers, sorrows, I know, it's devastating, I'm devastated too. But I want to say that today's guest is not mine. Today's story was brought to us when a girl one night made a sincere and heartfelt du'a to Allah. Her du'a was to be interviewed by me on this podcast. And of course, and of course, guys, it came true. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Halima, who is here with me today, but is really Allah's guest. Halima is half Mexican indigenous and half American, girl living in the States. Her story, as many of ours, begins with a question, or a few questions, like, who am I? What do I believe in? And why am I here?
1: My birth name is Isabella. My grandma had gifted me a name that aligned with some other indigenous gods. And when I had converted to Islam, I kind of let that go. It wasn't Mm. something that I believed in. And I didn't want to go into this, I guess, hypocrisy in a way. And I think I was just like really trying to find like something that was quote unquote right or acceptable. And I had landed on the name Halima. Mm. And I think that was really coming from a place of wanting to not do something wrong. And thinking that if I had an Arab name, that meant that I was doing something right. Mm -hmm. And after, like, I had changed it, I was like, this just, like, does not feel like me. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm kind of jumping into this, I guess, culture that's not even supposed to be about Islam, you know? And I just felt very disconnected from myself and, like, was questioning, like, is this how it's supposed to be for like every convert? Are we just supposed to like completely give up ourselves in order to be seen as quote unquote acceptable? And so I had told my dad, like I wanted to be gifted a new name and in my family, they gift names after you were born. And it's basically based off like what, that family member or elder thinks your essence is and how it'll affect you later in life because names hold so much power. And just like how in Islam, like they say that you should be named something positive and something that will give you mm-hmm. like blessings and stuff and not have something that is negative. And so my dad had named me Ose and it means Jaguar. Ooh. It's derived from a not name for jaguar. <laughs>
0: jaguar. Yeah, a jaguar.
1: And uh, wow. basically, they would, at least in our culture, like jaguars were one of the most symbolic animal that you could think of. They were something that was said to be very comfortable in this realm and in other realms. and they expressed that through being comfortable on land and in water. And I feel like that was very symbolic for me because growing up, I had kind of done that my whole life. I was always throwing myself in different worlds, so to speak, and constantly changing who I was. And I was always comfortable with it. Like once I had decided I'm going to be this person, something would switch in me and I would be that person. And I would go on and just completely embody it until I was like, okay, this doesn't serve me. I'm going to go do something else. And I had my very first boyfriend in eighth grade had told me, and he was much older than I was, but, and he definitely humbled me very quickly at an early age. And he had told me, he was like, you know what, if you reminded me of any animal, it would be a jaguar. Mm. And I was like, that doesn't really make any sense to me at the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But now that I look back at it, since he had hurt me so terribly, I kind of used it as a fuel in my life and kind of just went with, yeah, like if I was an animal, I would be a jaguar. And looking back at it, I kind of feel like it was crazy to see how someone can see you before you can see yourself even if it's apparent to the most cruel person ever because if you aren't like embodying who you truly are that doesn't mean that other people can't see it before you even see it but that's basically my name
0: even in Halima's dreams she was questioning the world around her feeling as though she was never given an answer to any of them also meant she felt lost in what to do Despite feeling like this, she didn't let it stop her from continuing to question things. And her bravery plays a crucial role in her finding the true answer to it all.
1: From a very young age, I was questioning God and everything around me. So we grew up Catholic and I was always the kid that every Sunday school teacher hated. (laughs) And I would always be questioning, like, why do we like take, our lessons from the pope (laughs) if god is god then why is there a time before god and like all you know why because
0: you're really giving jaguar feistiness you were like i want to know (laughs) right now i'm seeing the jaguar personality well i was honestly just very confused i'd be like how if
1: god is god then how is god a human or like all of this stuff Mm. like I just wanted to know and no one could answer it for me. And I was just like, why is this so hard to answer? We would go to church basically every Sunday and I just hated it. I did not like it. Everyone around me was so hypocritical. And this is like young me. And I would just be watching people and I'm like, you are just coming here just to say that you came to church. Mm. Like you aren't really like talking about God. No one around me is really talking about God. It's just, oh, we're just here because we have to be here. Mm. And if we're all questioning God, why are not we really like trying to figure out who he is? Then I started having nightmares about going to church. Allah. And... I knew I didn't like church, but I didn't know I didn't know my spirit did not like church Just <laughs> like that. Wow! And uh, I had the same nightmare every single week from ages eight to around like eleven. Every single week. Yes, and I would be waking up screaming from them. I remember this dream so vividly <laughs> to this day. It was honestly very symbolic. It wasn't anything like you would you would hear it and be like, how is that scary? But it honestly shook me to my core. So basically it started at the front door of my church and I was already inside of the church and something very massive and bright and very overbearing was floating in the middle of the church. And everything told me in my body to get down on the ground and crawl, and as I was crawling through the pews, there was like nature, like there was grass coming up from the floor, there was like little creatures, like as in animals like around me, and they were all telling me to be quiet and to not make any noise or something was going to happen and as I looked around like the rest of the church, they were still like more like nature, like trying to come up from the ground and like all this stuff. And I get to, I think the front of the pews and I accidentally make a noise and this bright light looks over to me and starts illuminating so much to the point that I feel like my body is burning. And I'm like, in so much pain and all this stuff. And then I wake up screaming. Wow. And when I look back at it, I feel like it was kind of like a way to tell me like what I'm doing is not serving God. It's serving something else that will in the end be my demise. Wow. At the time I did not know this, obviously (laughs) I was very young. I just didn't like the dream. And something in me just told me like, just don't go to church anymore. This isn't for you. And so I told my parents, they were kind of annoyed, obviously, but my parents are pretty like, they're pretty chill. They're pretty like, you can do what you want to do if you really feel that's what you need to do. And so I would stay home every Sunday after that. I did not practice. It was kind of like a downhill spiral after that because I was kind of jumping into this ocean of, okay, what do I do now? I guess like end of middle school through high school, I didn't even really care about God anymore. Mm -hmm. I stopped trying to find him. No one around me was trying to find him. Other things became more important. Like how much money we had for the house became more important. My dad going to work all the time became more important. School became more important. How others viewed me became more important. So I kind of just let it go. But I always had like a sense of I don't know who God is. So, I don't know anything at all. So, I might as well just live ignorantly. So, I was kind of just making these other things my gods, so to speak. I was living for other people. As a child, I was always questioning what love was. I didn't know what it was. I was very isolated a lot as a child. A lot of things had happened to me as a child that made me question it. And my parents also didn't always have the best relationship. So, my house was very chaotic at times. And I really just didn't know what anything was. And that kind of emulated in how I viewed my friendships, my relationships, myself. I became very into myself, I guess, so to speak. And I would base if I had a good day or not on how many people complimented me or how many people looked at me. All I cared about was how I looked Outwardly, and I think that came a lot from obviously being a mixed child and trying to you know, please every side. and also growing up, I was like quote unquote, "Oh, you like you're so pretty, like you're so pretty for your age, look at your hair, look at your skin and blah blah blah. and also not knowing what love is and growing up as a woman and thinking that men are the center of love, the center of your being and craving that attention. And if you don't have that attention, you don't know what love is. You don't know who you are. And so I was doing that a lot. And I was equating that to love. And it obviously did not serve me well. It it led me into a lot of spaces that were dangerous for me, a lot of spaces that did not care about me. None of my friends cared about me. I was kind of like just recycling the same patterns over and over again. And I went through a lot of anxiety and depression, even from a young child up until maybe I was 19. I had been dating this guy for a while, and he was very much older than me. I thought it was okay because, you know, I thought that's what you were supposed to do. I thought that this would take me somewhere else because he was older than me. He knew more than me. I had gone through a point of very bad anxiety and depression in high school. I was doing a lot of drugs. I was doing a lot of partying. And so I had overdosed off of like pain medication, not to the point where I could have died, but definitely to the point where I knew that I was sick and I didn't want to do it anymore. And after being in that abusive relationship for a while, I was, I stopped doing drugs. I didn't even drink. I didn't do anything. And I would just go to work. But I worked the night shift at a McDonald's. And I was constantly sleeping throughout the day, up at night. I did not have a good, like nothing in my life was stable. And I was living with that boyfriend at the time. And he was pretty abusive. He was Emotionally abusive, physically abusive. And I think my lowest point was when I had gotten very suicidal. We would fight a lot. And I had told him, I really just want to kill myself at this point. And he told me to do it. And after that, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And that's where I was living. I had no choice at the time. Or I felt like I had no choice. My family was always open to take me back, but I was so dead set on getting out of the house that I didn't even want to go back. And then he ended up cheating on me with someone that we worked with because I got him a job at McDonald's because I had worked there for a long time. And he ended up cheating on me with a girl who was 15. SubhanAllah. And he was in the paper for it because she had charged him with sexual assault. Wow, and wow! Even he even had the audacity, like when it, when it came out in the paper and everyone was talking to me, they're like, "Oh, is, isn't this your boyfriend? Isn't this your boyfriend?" He was like, "You're not gonna stand by me? No,
0: I'm not gonna stand by." <laughs> Why would you stand by him? Is he out of his mind?
1: I don't Subhanallah. know. Subhanallah,
0: Subhanallah. But either way, Subhanallah, that was
1: my last straw. I was like, I can't do this, and even. Even then I kind of just saw myself in the place of that girl and like realizing like how wow. messed up it was that mm-hmm. a man could like defile someone so young. Yeah. And realizing that that's what happened to me. And so of course my family came let, let me came come back with open arms. They never really wanted me to leave in the first place, but I was having like some problems with my relationship with my mom and I was obviously just all over the place. And I wanted to grow up. That was like a big thing for me growing up. I wanted to grow up fast and just leave. Mm -hmm. But I would say that that was my lowest point. He also influenced me to drop out of high school. Wow. So I had dropped out of high school at 17. And then I got my GED after we had broken up. And I started taking classes and i had met someone else and i was in a relationship with them and i had already went into the relationship thinking like i'm going to be different i'm going to find god like i had always wanted to do as a child and i just wanted to change my entire being cuz i did not feel like myself at all and so i had gotten into this relationship Still kind of doing the same thing that I'd always done of trying to please people, even if they didn't benefit me at all.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was finally in a relationship where I wasn't being abused or manipulated or whatever, but it still wasn't like a relationship that would benefit me. Like he was, he was like this fraternity boy. He would party all the time. He sold drugs. He wasn't a bad guy, but like his lifestyle was just not what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And ever since I was young, like if I liked you, I liked you. Like we were gonna get married. Like that was it. Like
0: Mm -hmm. I
1: don't (laughs) want this boyfriend stuff. You're a lover girl. You're a lover. You're a
0: lover girl. You're like it's marriage or Or nothing nothing. at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
1: but I was definitely on that, and he was not. So I was like, okay, like I have no stability. I feel like it was definitely a test from God. Like, are you going to do the same thing that you always do? Are you still going to just give up yourself? Mm. Are you going to give up yourself for this idea of, oh, like this man is going to grant you paradise, basically.
0: You, you know, what the thing is, subhanallah, as I'm hearing you, like, I think so many women can relate to that mm-hmm. because, you know, sometimes we're told, you know, hold on. Yeah. But nobody ever teaches you how to let go.
1: When I was finally out of that mindset, I was like, wow, I have everything. Like I have everything at my fingertip. You have to sacrifice something for things that benefit you. And I definitely made that sacrifice and I was reaping the rewards. And I feel like love, questioning love and questioning God were two major themes in my life. And once I had stopped giving my love up for the wrong things, then love started pouring in. Period.
0: Period! After finally gaining control over her choices and lifestyle, Halima was feeling good. She felt proud of herself for choosing better for her own well-being. But just around the corner, Halima had a new challenge she had to face. A journey with her health that led her to opening doors in a way that she had never done before.
1: During my last relationship, I had gotten sick and I had gotten an autoimmune disease called Graves' disease, and I had to get radiation on my thyroid to kill it. And a lot of women do have it, they usually have like problems with their thyroid. So I had to get radiation to kill it, and then they had put me on a medication to give me like the hormones that your thyroid usually produces. Some women will continue to lose it, some will lose it only for the beginning, and then once you start like figuring out your dose, then your hair will be fine. So I started that medication right after we had broken up. My hair was falling out in chunks, and my hair is very important to me. I love my hair. My hair used to be below my butt and I used to just keep it long <laughs> and luscious and beautiful. And Mashallah. Hair is also very symbolic in indigenous cultures. Mm -hmm. And so I felt very lost and very sad. And I started wearing the hijab because I wanted to take care of my hair (laughs) and I wanted to keep it covered. And my very good friend in high school, who was Muslim, she saw me wearing it and she was like, oh, my gosh, you look so beautiful. She was just hyping me up. And I felt like 10 times better about it. And I was starting to get interested in the hijab because once I had put it on, I knew that that was a form of modesty. Hmm. And I started wearing more modest clothes because I didn't want to wear the hijab and wear a crop top. I wanted to respect it. It wasn't mine, but I wanted
0: to use it for my hair. So wait, wait, wait. So wait, wait, Halima. So when your hair started falling out, you're like, okay, I want to protect my hair. Right. Let me just wear the hijab. Yeah. But you weren't a Muslim at the time. No, at the time I knew what Islam was. I
1: was very well versed in other religions because I had tried researching so many religions to find out who God was throughout my years. And I never like really stopped on Islam, but like I knew what it was. So I had looked up like how to take care of your hair when it's falling out. And they said to cover it. And I'm like, I'm not going to wear a hat. Like that would be dumb if I wore that all the time. Yeah. And yeah. so I was thinking, I was like, I'm going to just wear a hijab. I'm going to just do that. And I was just like, this might be beneficial anyways, because I'm trying to change my whole demeanor basically. And... I started dressing more modestly, and I just fell in love with it. I loved it so much. Aww. And,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, love and I think
1: since, like, I had always craved attention, the fact that no one gave me attention <laughs> after I put on a job, I was like, yes, this is yes. amazing. Yes. I went from craving attention and basing my day, if it was good or not, on how many people looked at me, how many people complimented me. And growing up thinking I had to emulate a certain person in order to be accepted to, oh, no one's going to look at you now. No one can judge you based off your appearance. So I started looking into hijab more, the meanings behind it. I really resonated with it. And then I started researching Islam more. I was like, if this is cool, the rest got to be cool too. (laughs) SubhanAllah. Everything that I had researched about Islam was emulated in everything that I had gone through. And for my people and other Indigenous people, I'm sure, like we kind of go back to the teachings of divine spiritual law. If something is one way then that's because it has a deeper meaning Mm. and that's how I kind of view like things for like halal or haram and a lot of it aligned with spiritual law I was kind of hooked at that point but I wasn't like ready to convert I was definitely just I don't know this is like not what I'm used to and coming from a religious background as well it's kind of like you think all religions are bad A lot of people who are quote unquote spiritual can't even utter the word God anymore because they're so like traumatized by some religions and not even religions, but people try and teach you what God is.
0: Accepting a sign was a huge step to consider. I mean, one Halima held back from doing as the memories of her past experience with religion came to play. Halima had reached the edge of her diving board and knew. She had to make the final jump. During this period of uncertainty, a new character appears in Halima's story. Someone who would change her perspective of what a man could be.
1: I met my husband through school. I was taking classes at a community college. He was taking classes at the university in my town. They sometimes give classes to those university students through the community college if they don't offer them. So he was taking a math class there in my class. He was always very quiet, very to himself, did not talk to anyone, got in, got out, and left. We love guys that mind their business. Yeah. <laughs>
0: we really do. Exactly. <laughs> that, that just don't care about nothing, just goes and does his thing.
1: Yeah, he was very... Yeah. he. I barely even saw him look up from his desk. So I knew who he was. I saw him a couple times. I liked him. Like I thought he was cool. I was very to myself as well. So it was kind of cool to see someone else like just not care about anybody else because I needed that. Mm -hmm. I was going my whole life caring about everybody else. And I wanted people around me that were like self-driven and wanted to better themselves so I was interested right off the bat, just by looking at him. Okay, so but describe what he looked like. You got to give us a teeth. <laughs> like what exactly were you looking at? So he was a a tall, athletic man. He always had most resting, angry face in the oh okay. in the wait, the world. Wait, wait.
0: Was he a black man? Yes. Yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> I was like tall, athletic with an angry. I give him black man. I was like this him a black
1: man. Always looked like he hated everyone around him. But I like that. <laughs> so... <laughs> Guess what? I like that, too.
0: Nobody wants a friendly man. No. Nobody wants a friendly man. Nobody wants a There's a difference between a kind man and a friendly man. And I'm telling <laughs> you, I'm telling you right now, if he, if I ever had seen him talking
1: and being friendly with anyone else, my interest would have been done. It would have been out no, of there. period. Period. And I was, I was very surprised as well. Cause he's, he's like a conventionally attractive man. He's a conventionally attractive man? Yes. <laughs> like we talk about this a lot and... <laughs> He hates it so much. He always says that ever <laughs> since he grew up, like everyone was always like talking about him, complimenting him, and he hated it.
0: Okay, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Halima, you hit the lottery ticket. Because I they, there is a thing that people always say: the best men are the men who aren't obviously given friendly, but the ones that don't know they're handsome. Right. Because when you mean a handsome man that knows he's handsome and is exercised that privilege. They're the most shambolic. But a guy that detests that he's handsome? Where did you find him? (laughs) The thing is,
1: it's crazy because this man knows he's handsome. Everyone's told him his whole life, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He does not care at all.
0: Out of curiosity, though, why doesn't he like it?
1: I think all of our, like, themes in life, me and my husband's kind of, like, mirror each other. Like for me, I was out there trying to get attention. I was trying to, you know, always be the prettiest person in the room, always be the coolest person in the room. And he had that. He had it his whole life. And he saw, just like I had seen, that people don't care about you if you're not those things. And people would assume things about him based off how he looked just the same way that I was trying to get people to assume things about me based off how I looked. So he kind of learned that lesson earlier in life through different means than I had. And I really respected it because sometimes Allah will give you tests in your life that don't always seem like they're bad, but they're still a test nonetheless because they're really like, there to see how your spirit will go through with it
0: yeah but can can we admit like you know in our like islamic traditions right beauty can also be a test yeah like being given something can also be a test right and we know this because of prophet yusuf alayhi salam right prophet yusuf alayhi salam was the most handsome man in the entire planet right and where did that take him a really difficult path. Right. Right? And so subhanAllah, yeah, like I don't I don't know if people really peep how beauty can also be a massive test. Any pretty boys out there, fear Allah. <laughs> fear Allah. Oh, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, anyways, uh, okay, so then so you meet this guy, mm-hmm. he's nice, he's cool, you like How did you guys snowball? Like, how did, I'm sure maybe he was looking at you to the side of the eye, like, what is this girl trying to talk to me for? Or like, did he have that kind of like, I'm not trying to make no friends. Like, how did you guys develop a friendship first? So I'd known who he was.
1: I recognized him. And one day in the library, he had come in and we have like these really big tables at the library that we have on campus. Like they could fit maybe like 10 people. And he sat down on one end of the table, and I was on the other end. And I was like, "Oh, that's that that's that kid from my math class." And so I kind of like pieced together, and I finally figured out like who he was because I had not seen him at on campus besides that one math class. So I was like, "Okay, he probably goes here, and he just takes that class there." He was working on the homework that we had, and I, you know, moseyed on over, and I was like, "Hey, like." you're from my math class. Can you help me with this? Because I had no idea what we were doing because I'm horrible at math. And he helped me and we were getting to know each other, like pleasantries and all of that. And after that, we kind of just started studying at the library every other day together. Mm. And it was kind of just like a I don't know. It was very like genuine experience. I never had the man like just be my friend, I guess, or try and be my friend. It was always like they kind of had ulterior motives and I don't know. It was very, it was definitely a breath of fresh air. And um, we like ended up finding out that we liked each other and all this for
0: after a while. And, okay. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. We're not going to rush over that. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to, you're going to tell me. How the heck you found out he liked you? You liked him, and how you guys admitted it? So please walk, cause I'm living vicariously through you here, yeah? <laughs> so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to explain to me how that happened. I think it happened very
1: gradually. I kind of had the little crush on him a little bit, but I didn't really like him. He liked me a lot more than I liked him. <laughs> I was still on my like I just got out of a breakup. Like I'm trying to do me, but the way that he was was so interesting to me. I wanted to study this man. I was so confused by the fact that, like, he looked the way he looked, but he did not talk to nobody. Mm. That was always so interesting to me because I know so many pretty people who throw away their lives for the fact that they're pretty. I wanted to, like, keep him safe from everything that men were or everything that people would see him as. So I kind of like took it upon myself to just be there for him. Because he would just be so pure to the point that I would just be like, are we living in the same world? Like, how are you the way that you are? (laughs) And when we look back at it, he says that he liked me a lot from the beginning.
0: Mm.
1: He says the day that we met, he was like, I'm going to marry this woman.
0: I don't really believe that. (laughs) Okay, no, he's actually amazing. (laughs) You were kind of like holding your cards closer to your chest.
1: Yeah. And I also didn't really like him. Like, I thought he was cute, but Mm. I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm used to like bad boys, I guess. And like, I'm not used to this. And it kind of seemed like awkward for me because like when you get used to chaos, like silence and stillness is not appealing to you. I was just so used to, like, someone hurting me or using me and blah, 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 to the point where I'm like, is this even, like, for me? Would I even thrive in this environment if this is all I'd known?
0: So walk me through that night. So what it happened, where were you? So, like, give me, if you could describe that in your most rom-com description.
1: We were in his dorm room. The dorms are very small, but he had his own room. And it, basically all that can fit in there is a bed and a desk. And so he was sitting in his bed. I was sitting in the, on the chair and the desk and we were watching a movie. I thought it was just like, we were just going to watch a movie, go study, go eat, do what we usually do, leave. And we always had a lot in common. So, you know, the vibes were there. But I didn't really know that this man liked me, like not to. So, say anything about my husband, but he doesn't really have Riz like that. Like he's not like out here like <laughs> good men don't,
0: okay? Good men don't. Like he wasn't out no, here not good flirting. Men. Pure men, pure men don't.
1: <laughs> he wasn't Lajallah. out here like telling me I was pretty or beautiful or whatever. Yeah. Like it was strictly like I thought we were just, you know, being friends, being study buddies, whatever and he was also very respectful did not ever cross a line nothing and so we were watching the movie he was like this is gonna sound crazy but he was like I love you and I was like what, what? <laughs> I was like what are you talking wait wait, about? out of the blue like that yeah and I, I kind of tried to, to pretend that I didn't hear it and I was like what <laughs> and then I was like don't say that again no you don't let's go, <laughs> go study And so we studied and then I left and I texted him and I was like, what did you mean by that? You love me as a friend. You love spending time with me. Like, what is going on? And he was like, no, I love you. Like, I love you.
0: Unbelievable.
1: I was like, we're not even, we're not even a thing. We're not even dating. (laughs) After that, I was like, okay, but I kind of love him too. You know, like, Mm. I do love him. Like, I've always had this sense of wanting to protect him. I've always had this sense of being drawn to him, even though I didn't think that I liked him. Mm -hmm. Because after the first, like, time we had met at the library, I was like, I'm never going to see this man again. It's okay if we don't. I was very used to, like, I don't know. I think I was very used to, like, not thinking good things were going to happen. I don't think I could be with anyone else, honestly. That leads me to one day, (laughs) we were walking after studying, we were walking to Domino's to get a pizza. As we were going through this, I was also going through like my research in Islam. It felt like everything was kind of piecing together. Like I was finding out what I wanted after I'd sacrificed my old life. I finally had someone who was genuine about me which I had never had in my life. And I was finding Islam and loving it. I was definitely on the edge of the diving board, staring down into the deep water, not knowing if I wanted to do it or not. I kind of just had this like moment while we were walking and I was like, yeah, I'm Muslim. And he just looked at me. He was like, are you? Like, (laughs) you never said that before. (laughs) And uh, I was like, yeah, like, I think I am. Like, I know that I am. And I love him, but he was just like, okay. And then he just kept going with his day. (laughs) And then we got the pizza and we ate it. And that was just the day. Like, it wasn't anything like crazy. And he was always that kind of person that would be like, you can do whatever you want. I don't really care. As long as you are being true to yourself, that's all that really matters. Mm. So... After that, I kind of, like, in my head, I was like, that was my Shahada. But I did want to take another Mm. one. I wanted to take a proper one. Mm -hmm. And I did wait a while to do that because we were also talking to each other. And I was like, I feel like I can't go into this in a Haram, like, (laughs) relationship. I was, like, kind of dropping hints, like, here and there. Like, oh, I don't think I could marry someone who wasn't Muslim. And I definitely think it was, like, a a test to like my faith. It was definitely a test to see if I was going to keep doing the same things that I've always done and putting people in the place of God, basically. When I had gone to the point where I had met my husband, I feel like everything that I've gone through was emulating in that moment, reaching up to my Shahada. Wow. And it was like God was saying like, You can have this man, but are you going to have him in the way that benefits me? Mm. Are you going to have him in a way that benefits the both of you? Are you going to have me at the forefront of your marriage? Or are you going to start it in a way that you've always done where you use your love for someone as a means of living instead of your love for me?
0: After months of waiting and hoping and praying that they could have a future together, Halima knew it was best for the pair to part ways. She knew the reasons Allah would bring people into her life, to teach her lessons, to test her, to test if she could let the cycles that previously overcame her life continue to wreak havoc on it. This time, she wasn't going to let that happen. And so with tears in her eyes and faith in her heart, she let the love of her life go. Now I want you all to remember this hadith. rarely you will never leave anything for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except that he will replace it with something better for you. And Allah always keeps
1: his promise. I was definitely heartbroken. He was the first person that had ever been genuine about me, had ever been respectful towards me, had ever taken my spirit into consideration he'd never like made me feel like I was just this body basically or just this face and he never even like would compliment me he would compliment who I was and he would always say things like wow you're kind of like a role model to me I want to be like you which was crazy because I was like I kind of want to be like you But six months later, he told me that he was converting and... Okay, wait, 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 wait. Well, pause, pause, (laughs) pause, pause, pause. So was his text kind of like out of the blue? Yeah. He had texted me up and we were pretty good at being in touch with each other. But I think our conversations definitely started to die down. And I had asked him before, like, what was going through his head during that whole period. And he had said that he was basically just researching Islam and doing the most that he could
0: Mm. in
1: order to figure out if this was for him or not. And I really appreciate that he didn't just jump right into it after I told him that Mm -hmm. we couldn't be together. But he definitely took his time and I'm glad. And it meant even more to me. And so... He texted me up and he said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this for me and I'm going to do this for Allah and I'm going to do this for us. And so he told me that he was going to convert and I kind of just left it at that. I kind of just wasn't really sure like how to feel about it because I also didn't really know how to go about it perfectly through the sense of Islam because I didn't have a wali I didn't have any of those things so I had told him like if he's serious he needs to contact our mosque and let them know like he wants to like you know go through (laughs) with this marriage and then find me a wali wow and so he did that And then I wasn't aware right away that he had done that. Wow. And he had come up to my house and asked my parents for my hand, basically. Wait, wait, did you know he was coming that day? He said he was coming over, and I assumed that that was why. And I was very nervous and very scared. And (laughs) I left the house. (laughs) Because I did not want to what do be. We left the house. I went outside so you- to the backyard because I did not want to be anywhere near what was going
0: on. Oh no! <laughs> you're I like was I- too nervous. Yeah, you know, you sound like a, a regular blushing suit to be. Because <laughs> like anybody talking to anybody's dad is like, I don't want to be. here. I don't. And also, just because
1: my parents knew I converted to before this, they were very welcoming. Mm-hmm. They were very, you know. Still, do what you want to do. That's okay. And I was very scared for him to do this. But I think my parents have gotten to a point where, like, oh, she's done so many crazy things. This is just another one, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So they were like, yeah, go ahead, you know? He asked for my hand and everything. After the fact, my mom had come to me. My dad, of course, not. He just, you know, (laughs) he left it as it was. But my mom had come to me and she was like, I've seen how happy you have been since meeting him because I had told him about him before and she was like, I think this is the most respectful person that you have ever brought into this house, friends included. She was like, if that's what you want to do, then go ahead and do it. Cause it seems like it's something good for you. And so we had gotten married February 28th. And <laughs> it was very small. I did not invite anyone <laughs> to the wedding or to the nikah. Mm-hmm. And I think the, and my Wali was there. He was an imam there and um his wife came with her daughters and that was everyone who was there. We were there during Maghreb for the prayer and my Wally had asked all of the men who were there like, oh, do you want to stay for a wedding? And so they were there.
0: (laughs) Oh, mashallah. The congregation came. Yeah. The Muslims were invited.
1: And so it was very short, very small, but it was very impactful. And I was very happy. I didn't even have my parents there because his parents were in Germany and I felt like it wouldn't be fair. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted it to be us. I really wanted the day to just be about us. So we did our vows in my backyard with just the both of us. Because I didn't want anyone else to hear them. I wanted it to just be like words that we were able to say to each other in like our own space. And I could not get through my vows for the life. (laughs) And I want you to imagine that when you read them, because it was just so hard. And I felt like everything that I had ever prayed for was just coming true, coming to me. And it was
0: just a really great moment. What did it feel like to have the first halal hug? It was great. Halal embrace. It was great.
1: (laughs) I was like, wow, okay, this feels right. (laughs) This feels better.
0: Congratulations. Mabruk. Mabruk, mabruk. Thank you. May Allah bless your union, make it filled with khayr. May Allah continue to allow you guys to be the coolness of each other's eyes. and May Allah make it a means for you both to enter the highest level of Jannah. What would you say was like, a, like the most beautiful moment that you remember during that time?
1: When we got to pray together. That was the first time we had started praying together ever. And it was definitely something to get used to. Um, we would laugh a lot, and try. We would have to like separate sometimes because it would just be too much. <laughs> <laughs> but whenever we did get get it right, it was very like it just felt like so beautiful to like have that to do with someone. He was always there to remind me, like, bro. <laughs> what do y'all put in this podcast
0: everyone be crying (laughs) it's okay to cry halima listen listen Uh, listen it's not every day you have to be a jaguar okay it's okay it's okay to shed a tear because i'm about to shed a tear myself so he
1: was always there (laughs) to remind me like you know allah is there for you he loves you like He has blessed you Mm. with so much. Mm -hmm. It's okay to rely on that Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: not just rely on yourself.
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, I just kept doing that and it really paid off. And I really think that Allah had blessed me with a partner who was always there to remind me of that. Girl! Yeah, I'm
0: sorry. (laughs) I'm just like... (laughs) so beautiful subhanallah it,
1: it's it's Allah has he has definitely blessed me with a partner who is a constant reminder to rely on him and to you know believe in yourself believe in the creation that Allah has cr- made and we are a part of that and i was just so disconnected from everything for so long and it's just, like, to this day, I still am in awe by the fact that, like, I am blessed with such a union because the way that, like, marriage works today sometimes is, you know, like, they say that once we get married, half of our deen is completed, but I think a lot of people think that that just happens right when you get married or right when you say, Mm -hmm. like, I do and everything, but it's a constant, like, give and take and it's something that you have to find through the other person and you know like tune to like how you live your life through Allah it's not like you just say I do and then half of your deen is completed it's it's a test it's a job it's you know like finding yourself through another person mirroring each other growing fixing what you have Done in the past once you finally let all of that go and find your relationship through Allah, then that's when it's completed. When you amplify each other's love for Allah, it's not just right off the bat. But He would show me time and time again that He was someone to be trusted, and there was a lot of times where I was kind of just making stuff up in my head and thinking, like. Oh, like, he's probably out here doing this. He's probably out here doing that. He says that he likes me, but how would I know? And he would always, you know, prove the point that he wasn't doing stuff like that and that he was serious and that he was a genuine person. And I think, like, in marriage, we have this, I guess, fantasy, like, mindset about it that it's just going to be this perfect, beautiful, like, thing, but... We all unfortunately sin. It's, it's in our human nature to not be perfect. And when you come together with someone, you have to accept that and you have to grow from it. You choose to better each other and better yourself every day.
0: I know you're doing your interview right now, but I just wanted to let you know that I'm so proud of you and that Allah loves you, and he answered this dua for a reason. You worked so hard, and I couldn't be more proud. I love you so much, and I can't wait to hear all about it after you're done. I love you. Do you remember the hadith I mentioned earlier? Halima's story was all about her love For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and her life in exchange bloomed in the brightest ways due to it. Giving up what was so close to her heart meant that Allah rewarded her with so much more. And I really mean this guys. There will always be barakah and reward in leaving what Allah dislikes and embracing what Allah loves instead. I hope you all loved Love loved Timber as much as I did. I mean, it was an incredible season. And I can say personally, okay, personal. I'm like, y'all, but personally, I feel like I feel differently about love now. If I felt a little bit negative before, I feel real rejuvenated, real replenished. You get me? <laughs> it was an extremely, extremely special season. And as a team at TDS, and you guys, of course, our audience, I'm excited about stepping into this new era together hand in hand. I also want you guys to keep each of these love stories for Habur Rahmah all the way to Halima, aka Say, close to your heart like I do. I want you to remember the power of du'a and of having faith. And most of all, of being Muslim. May we all let our love for Allah guide our lives. Ameen. And to end off the last episode of season three, I want to remind you, it was only Halima's love for Allah which brought about the love she now shares with her husband. But before I go, you already know, you already know the dealio. I have to give a shout out to my team. You get me? Um, I love to give a shout out because you know we love shout outs here in Toronto to our incredible episode producer, Khawai Bazade. You killed it, bro, man. This episode, fan favorite. I already know. I also love to give a shout out to our lead producer, Hannah Evan. Oh, it's been a pleasure working with you, sis. Our writer, an oldie but a goodie, right? Levisa Chattery. Our graphic designer, Wasim Fada, or as I like to call her, Sima Sima with the keys to my viva. <laughs> our project manager, Mahin Khan. Our sound designer, Yusuf Dawazu, And our marketing extraordinaire. You already know because you heard it so many times. But I'm going to tell you again, Sosan Abdullahi. I love you guys all. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, to this entire season. And just overall for being who you are. Like. You guys mean so much to us. You have no idea. And I am so appreciative of all the patience you guys had um, in our return. And yeah, and I hope you really loved this last episode. I really hope you did. And yeah, I'll see you guys in Ramadan. Yeah, first Friday, you already know. We're going to pull up. So you can see you guys next Ramadan in your ears, in your speakers. Say with me, telling you a good story. See you then, guys. Assalamualaikum. All right, guys, before you leave, I have one more thing to tell you, okay? This is a big deal, so really listen up. Now, after every episode drop, you will have, okay, listen up, special access to behind-the-scenes content, which now includes extended interview cuts, notes from the producer, and all of the archival content we didn't get to include in the episode. Imagine that. After the show is now live and exclusively on iTunes. The episodes will drop after every new episode on Friday, so go go subscribe right now. Get access for free through an Apple Podcast subscription or by subscribing for 1.99 USD monthly and annually for only 3.99 USD. Sign off guys, it's going to be amazing.